<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Hi, everybody. Cheryl Atkinson here. Welcome to another edition of Full Measure After Hours. I hope you will today pre-order my new book. It's called Slanted, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism. If you enjoy Full Measure, I think you're really going to like the topic of this book. It's a deep dive into what I call the death of journalism as we once knew it and the question of, was it murder or suicide? The book is Slanted. Today, we'll talk about what's coming up on Full Measure this week. Plus, we'll continue our list analyzing media mistakes in the era of Trump. Do you have something to say and want to make your own podcast? Let me tell you how to do that for free with Anchor. Anchor has creation tools that let you record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. You can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more places. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's all you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. I couldn't be more excited to start our season six, our sixth year already, of Full Measure with Cheryl Ackeson. That begins Sunday, September 13th. And a reminder, you can get a list of TV stations. We now have one in Los Angeles. You can go to CherylAckeson.com and click the Full Measure tab for a complete list of television stations and times, or check your local listings. But never fear, if you don't have a station near you, you can watch live at fullmeasure.news online. That's fullmeasure.news at 9.30 a.m. Eastern Time on Sundays. And if you miss it live, that's not a problem either because we post all of the segments in the entire program around noon on Sundays after it airs across the nation on television. So you can always go to fullmeasure.news even right now and see what recently played. Then we have an application, an app called STIRR, S-T-I-R-R. You could download that and watch Full Measure on demand anytime or live. So I hope you will check out one of those ways. Some of the stories I'm already researching and working on for our tremendous season six include another trip to the border. You may know I've been doing this at least once a year. I did this also at CBS News when I worked there just to find out what's really happening at the border in terms of the wall, illegal immigration, drug trafficking, what the residents and the communities at the border think, what the ranchers are saying, what law enforcement is saying, what elected officials are saying. This time, my trip was down again to Southern California, where I went a couple of years ago, the San Diego sector, where we look at what happened after coronavirus started with the coronavirus restrictions. Did that make a decline in illegal immigration, human trafficking, and the drug trafficking or not? You're going to be surprised by some of the results we found. I'm also working on a story about what I call the internet divide. 
I think you'll be surprised by how many people in America do not have access to ordinary high-speed internet, nothing at all, or maybe just something very intermittent off a telephone. And we'll talk about what's being done to change it and also follow the money about what's been done with billions of tax dollars that have gone to big companies in the past that were supposed to help provide high-speed internet to rural areas. I'm also continuing my look at the impact of legal marijuana. We went to Denver, Colorado, and some outlying areas in Colorado a couple of years ago to talk about legal pot there, the good, the bad, and the ugly. There's a little bit of each. This time, we traveled to California. They have found some of the same things as happened in Colorado, but a lot of pot advocates have been surprised by some of the ramifications of legalized marijuana. Would you believe that in California and some other states that illegal pot trafficking is still very, very much a problem. I mean, the hope was if you made marijuana use legal, recreational marijuana use, it would cut way back on the illegal drug trafficking and crime. Well, we'll explain why that hasn't necessarily been the case. I'm also researching something I call the transgender divide. This is the debate over transgender athletes. And it's interesting to me because the arguments do not just divide along the normal lines. There are feminists who typically, of course, support opportunities for women in athletics, and many of them support the idea that transgenders, people who live their lives as males, born as boys or men, should be able to change to identify as girls, women, and join women's sports But there are some feminists that completely object to this idea, saying that undercuts the whole notion of giving women opportunity in sports. We will sort out that debate. And we've made some trips, some important trips, I think, uh, for stories where there have been cities that are torn by violence and the debate over whether to defund the police. We'll talk about what's going on in places like Chicago and Minneapolis with firsthand accounts that have all sides reported without the spin. We just went to see what was happening without a particular agenda. So I hope you'll tune in to season six of Full Measure beginning Sunday, September 13th. Meantime, we are still in reruns, but as always, I say, I hope you'll tune in because I'll bet that you didn't see these stories the first time around. Odds are you missed this program. First, my cover story, something I call Bended Like Beck. And I'm talking about Glenn Beck, the conservative talk show host whose star was rising in every way some years ago. You may remember he even reached most admired men in the world status right next to the Pope. And his influence was growing. He even had Washington, D.C. rallies with huge turnouts. But he got targeted by a smear campaign led by the liberal smear group Media Matters. And he kind of disappeared. You maybe haven't heard too much about him lately, but in our cover story, I'm going to trace Beck's trajectory from most admired to most despised and explain the operation to undercut him. I'll have an interview with him. And by the way, he was not a Trump supporter in 2016. Is he now? I asked him. You can find this out on Sunday. Also, Sunday, we have a stark and potentially frightening look at the future of technology and where it's taking us. Obviously, there's some good to technological advances, but there are a lot of fears and concerns about artificial intelligence and where fighting a humanless 
technological war would take us. And then finally, we will follow the money to the U.S. Postal Service and its financial woes. That's this Sunday on Full Measure. I hope you will join us. After a short break, we're going to pick up with my ongoing list of media mistakes in the era of Trump. We are back, and I'm going to pick up with number 61 in my analysis of media mistakes in the era of Trump. If you've missed the previous 60, I have been analyzing those in chunks of my podcasts. You can find them in the title of the podcast if you're looking for those particular ones, both in this podcast, Full Measure After Hours, and also in my other podcast, the Cheryl Atkinson podcast. So number 61 starts on November 14th, 2018. CNN's Jeff Zellini reports that President Trump has decided to fire a deputy national security advisor upon the first lady's demand. And the Wall Street Journal reports that the advisor has been escorted out of the White House. But later, it's reported that neither case was true. Quote, this did not happen. She is still here at the White House, a senior official told the press, and the advisor was reassigned to another job. Number 62, December 24th, 2018. It's discovered that nearly everything written by a Der Spiegel reporter who had been honored by CNN about a supposedly racist Trump stronghold town had been fabricated, much like his other work. This is really a fascinating tale and lesson of bad journalism and lack of checks. If you want to read more about it, there's a pretty comprehensive article in the Washington Post titled, When the News Really Is Fake, German Reporter Admits Fabricating Coverage at Leading News Magazine. The article, if you want to search for it, is Washington Post, December 20th, 2018. I'll read a couple of quotes from it. It says, When one of Germany's most long-standing and often cited publications, Der Spiegel, pushed out a news alert Wednesday, the subject was its own failing. The magazine revealed that one of its star reporters, Klaus Relodius, likely embellished his coverage and allegedly fabricated entire events for years before resigning on Monday. The article goes on to say, here's a quote, the winner of numerous journalism awards, including CNN's Journalist of the Year, the European Press Prize and Forbes list of 30 under 30 Europe Media Award. The 33-year-old reporter had risen quickly to fame in media circles in the public eye, but had mixed fact with fiction and even spun whole tales for one of Germany's most respected media companies. Well, one interesting thing about this Washington Post report, it doesn't go down the list and describe that all of these errors in the most recent case by this reporter were fabricated anti-Trump stories. More on that in just a moment. But an interesting point as to how Relodius was exposed, one of his colleagues says the Washington Post article named Juan Moreno had teamed up with Relodius to report on vigilante groups along the U.S.-Mexico border, and Moreno soon began to suspect his colleague of fabricating facts and raised concerns to the magazine's editorial board, who this article says were initially unwilling to accept the findings. So Moreno decided to head back to the south of the United States without the approval of his editors to speak to the sources Relodius claimed to have interviewed And when he tracked them down, they all agreed none had ever been interviewed by Relodius. In other words, 
Even the editors of the magazine, when flagged by a colleague, apparently didn't want to accept or investigate this. And the colleague had to go on his own and do an investigation and expose this. And it sounds like they were most reluctant in learning the truth about their star reporter. The Washington Post also says fabrication scandals are extremely rare. Well, I'm not sure you can say that. Maybe the scandals over their exposure are fairly rare, but we don't know how often they really happen. We only know when we catch somebody. And as we just learned, it's not always easy to catch somebody because the publication doesn't necessarily want to hear it. The Washington Post goes on to say, but when they do occur, they almost always have far-reaching consequences. And they point out in 1981, the Pulitzer Prize Committee withdrew a Pulitzer Prize from Washington Post reporter Janet Cook after her story was exposed to be a fabrication after it had won the Pulitzer Prize. And then there was the New York Times reporter, Jason Blair, who resigned from the Times in 2003 after editors found this star reporter of theirs had committed frequent acts of journalistic fraud. Interesting in all the reporting about the journalistic fraud committed by Relodius, you have to hunt pretty hard to find the details of what he did in his anti-Trump story, the big anti-Trump story in Fergus Falls, Minnesota. And there's an article actually written in by the Twin Cities Pioneer Press that gives more details, probably because it was written in Fergus Falls. And it says that despite spending a month in Fergus Falls talking with locals, Relodius's portrayal titled Where They Pray for Trump on Sundays was by and large fictional. A Fergus Fall resident wrote, in 7,300 words, he really only got our town's population and average annual temperature correct and a few other basic things like the names of businesses and public figures, things that a child could figure out in a Google search. The rest is uninhibited fiction, even as sloppy as citing an incorrect figure of citywide 70.4% electoral support for Trump when the actual number was 62.6%, which begs the question of why Der Spiegel even invested in Relodius's three-week trip to the U.S. In his anti-Trump story, the reporter's former employer, Der Spiegel, said that he, quote, bent and twisted reality in a repugnant and arrogant manner and insulted the inhabitants of Fergus Falls in the process. The publication goes on to say, Relodius gave the inhabitants of Fergus Falls made-up biographies to suit his needs as if he were a puppeteer. Let's move on to number 63, Media Mistakes in the Era of Trump, December 26, 2018, NBC reports that Trump was the first president since 2002 not to visit the troops at Christmas time, but he and First Lady Melania did. NBC later added a note to its story, but left the false headline in place, the headline that said Trump becomes the first president since 2002 not to visit troops at Christmas time. And I dissect this mishap in detail. This is a big case, in my view, of journalistic malpractice. And it will be repeated, by the way, a year later by another news organization, the same sort of mistake. This is, again, dissected in my new book, Slanted. I hope you will pre-order it when you're done listening to this podcast. Number 64, January 1st, 2019, starting off the new year, CBS News claimed that in June of 2018, Trump spokesman Sarah Huckabee Sanders would retire by the end of the year, but 
by six months later, she hadn't. In fact, as of May 2019, about a year later, she was still on the job, and there had been no correction or editor's note to that CBS News claim that she was going to be retiring at that time. The same CBS story also quoted sources as saying the departure of White House assistant Raj Shah was also imminent, but it wasn't. Shah continued on his job for seven more months. It's another case, and there are many on this list, where it's pretty clear that people who are at odds with one another or perhaps not even in support of Trump but work in the White House are leaking information to their own benefit or at least for a propaganda reason to the press and usually more than one news organization who all turn up with the same information at the same time and it's often false or wrong but oftentimes also not corrected and they seem to be going back to the well using the same sources over and over again even when the information is proven bad. Number 65, January 9th, 2019, the New York Times issues a correction to a report that falsely stated former Trump campaign chairman Paul Manafort had asked for campaign polling to be given to a Russian oligarch, Oleg Deripaska, who has ties to Russia President Putin. Instead, the Times then later claimed that it wasn't Manafort that had asked for campaign polling to go to Russia, but he had asked his associate, Rick Gates, to give polling data to Ukrainian oligarchs, not the Russian oligarch Deripaska. In other words, they're getting a lot of stuff wrong. While working at Politico, by the way, one of the New York Times reporters in question here, Ken Vogel, got caught sending drafts of stories to Democratic officials, and another co-author of this story, Maggie Haberman, had been talked about in internal emails as a friendly of the Clinton campaign who they turned to to publish things that they wanted published in the press the way they wanted them published and how they wanted them published. One of the quotes about Maggie Haberman working for Politico but now the New York Times, one of the quotes by Clinton officials in the email was, quote, we have had her tee up stories for us before and have never been disappointed. We can do the most shaping by going to Maggie. And that really tells a lot about how political authorities and officials and sometimes corporations and other special interests are using the press, an unquestioning press, who pretends they are getting scoops but is doing the bidding of these interests. And it's not just one side. All sides try to do this. I think in general everybody would agree Democrats are more effective and better at it because some of the biggest press organizations would never print something unquestionably given to them by the opposite side of the political aisle, but they will do this um, with those with whom they agree ideologically, let's say. Number 66, January 11, 2019, a Fox TV affiliate in Seattle, Washington, aired a fake doctored video of President Trump that altered his face and made it appear as though he had stuck his tongue in and out while giving an Oval Office address. If you wanna see that video and read more about these media mistakes, you can go to my website, CherylAckeson.com, and just search for media mistakes in the era of Trump, or media mistakes, and it will come up. And look for number 66, and there's a link there under doctored video, and you can watch that video that somebody altered and actually aired in Seattle of President Trump sticking his tongue out, making it look like he was sticking his tongue in and out. And then the last one we will talk about today and wrap this up 
is number 67, which occurred on January 18th, 2019. There was a BuzzFeed exclusive with anonymous sources implicating President Trump in potentially criminal behavior that Democrats and pundits alike said would be the nail in Trump's impeachment coffin, but these claims were refuted in a rare rebuke from Special Counsel Mueller's office, who is no friend, as we know, of President Trump. But even though Special Counsel Mueller's office contradicted directly the BuzzFeed exclusive, BuzzFeed stood by its reporting. But here's what the spokesman for Mueller said about it, quote, BuzzFeed's description of specific statements to the special counsel's office, this was about supposed Trump criminal activity, and characterization of documents and testimony obtained by this office regarding Michael Cohen's congressional testimony are not accurate, said the spokesman Peter Carr. And in the end, I think we see who was right because the special counsel did not charge President Trump with any related criminal activity that had been claimed by the BuzzFeed exclusive. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and that you will subscribe to Full Measure After Hours and share it with your friends. Leave a good review. Also subscribe to the Cheryl Ackeson podcast, my other podcast. If you like these topics where we look at media misreporting, astroturf, narratives, censorship, the death of the news as we once knew it, you will love the material we cover in these two podcasts. And another favor, if you believe that independent reporters are a dying breed and you're sick of seeing biased and unfair reporting when you turn on the news, I hope you'll consider supporting fair coverage in independent reporting by ordering my new book. It addresses all of these topics in great detail with enlightening interviews from executives who have led news organizations at the broadcast networks and cable networks with reporters and producers who you might be surprised to hear in some cases are as concerned as you, even though most of them say they come from the progressive or liberal side of the spectrum. The book is called Slanted, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism, available for pre-order anywhere you like to order books. Do your own research, make up your own mind, think for yourself.